get here running too late. Um, we're in 1 Kings chapter 13. We have worked our way through the uh, kingdom of Solomon. And then uh, last week we dealt with Jeroboam. Last couple of weeks we've dealt with Jeroboam and uh, Rehoboam and uh, the rebellion. And uh, the fact we saw Rehoboam... Uh, not listening to good counsel. Uh, Proverbs 1 5 says, A wise man will hear and increase in learning, but a man of understanding and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel, something Rehoboam did not do. And again, it's something, you know, it, this is in the text. Uh, probably we don't, we, we say, yes, that's good advice. You know, we, we, yeah, you know, the Bible teaches that. But, you know, we should take that as seriously as we do anything else in Scripture, right? Christians of all people, of course, we take our first, if we're going to take, if we're going to be serious about wise counsel, then we're going to elevate the word of God as foremost in our life, right? This is where every wise counsel begins. And then we hang around and we listen to people who have something profitable to say that's not contrary to God's word, but will be supported by God's word. And if we're always listening to people who give bad advice, then we shouldn't be expected if we I have trouble doing what is right, right? So that's just, it should be kind of like Christianity 101 to some degree. Uh, we dealt with Jeroboam and as he rebelled against the Lord, the Lord gave him the kingdom, but he, uh, decides that he will uh, be his own king. He speaks with the Lord, yet he loves himself and rejects the Lord's, uh, the Lord, uh, and so he, of course, developed a whole system of idolatry we talked about last week. And both he and Jeroboam are exercised in idolatry in different ways, right? One more openly, but one in listening to himself and not uh, listening to what God has to say. It's, it's the same thing. It's, that's why Christians always have to be very aware of idolatry rearing its ugly head. And uh, then we saw Jeroboam in his, uh, in his leading the country into idolatry. He doesn't really do it openly. He says, this is Yahweh. This is the God who led us out of Egypt. This is another way to worship God, you know. But it's all, it's all good. And that's how Satan, he tries to steal our hearts by being subtle. Worship God, but do it in a way that you feel comfortable with. And at the end of the day, it's idolatry. And it doesn't please the Lord. And, and again, why not? It doesn't take the word of God seriously, right? You know, because we read about the word of the Lord coming to people in the Old Testament. Well, it's no different than this. This is the word of God that he has given to us. It's his word. And when we take it as, well, okay, that's one way to look at something. And then we say there's other ways to look at something. That's idolatry. That's saying, well, Lord, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll worship you and other things. And so today in chapter 13, we come to an interesting story of two prophets. Let's stand and we'll read the first ten verses and then I'll just make a summary of the last bit and uh, for time's sake. But in 1 Kings chapter 13, it says, And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. It is a prophet who was in the southern kingdom Judah, remember at this time. And Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places to which 
who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. So the day is coming when the priest, uh, he names Josiah by name, right? And, and the priests that are offer, making offerings to these false gods, they will be slain on this altar, and the dead one's body, uh, bones will be burned upon it. That's what, what the Lord thinks about all this. Then in verse 3, And he gave them a sign the same day, saying, This is a sign of the, that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not withdraw it back to himself. So, uh, the Lord graciously gives a very clear sign to Jeroboam that he is not, he is to accept this and not to try to punish this man for saying that, right? And the, the altar was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Now, it doesn't tell us whether this was something the Lord did miraculously or how this happened, but at that time, that was the sign. The sign came true. You know, the Lord says, here's what's going to happen, and here's a sign so that you have no excuse for not listening to what I have to say. Um, verse five, 6, And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me that my hands may be restored. And the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I, and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you gave me half your house, I will not go up with you, for I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded to me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water, nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. Now you may be seated. Now for time's sake, let me just kind of sum up what's going to happen after this. He's going, he, you know, he says, I, I, the Lord told me to go straight back, don't eat with anybody, don't talk, just, just go right back, don't stay with anybody. And uh, on his way back, and it wasn't that far, because you're only talking about six miles or so from Jerusalem. Uh, or from at least the border. And uh, another man comes to him and says, I'm a prophet. And and he says, come on home with me and uh, spend the night with me and let me feed you. And he says, no, I can't do that. The Lord told me not to. And he says, well, I'm a prophet. And the Lord told me that it's okay for you to, to, to do this. So the man believes him, goes back, eats with them. And while they're eating, the prophet, this older, this old man who was a, a prophet in Israel, so he was a, a we'll see here, a, a, a compromising false prophet. While they're eating, he says, okay, because you've, the Lord has told me, because you disobeyed him, you're going to be slain on the way home. So he, so he, 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 he lies to the man, as the Bible says, he lies to him, tells him it's okay for him to come, and then the Lord comes upon him, and he fall, and he rightly prophesies that you're going to die because you listen to what I said. So very interesting. So the guy gets up, he leaves, and a lion meets him, kills him, and then stands there kind of as guard, doesn't eat his body, nor does he attack the donkey that he's on, as again another sign that this is not circumstances and just happened, 
you know, but this is obviously something that the Lord uh, dealt with, or, or you know, it's His will, and He caused it to happen. And then the old man, the old prophet who had deceived him to begin with, tells his sons when he hears about this, he goes and he 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 bring he gets the guy's body, he brings it and he buries it. He tells his sons, "When I die, bury me with this prophet. Bury me on his place beyond his bones." So, so a very interesting story, right? And, and of course, the question is, what's going on, and what are we to learn here? And I think the theme of this chapter is that the word of God is something that is it's important how we receive the word of God. Now we could say that what's the theme of the whole Bible to some degree, right? Obviously, but this is a very clear illustration of what happens when you don't take the word of God seriously. You you start out doing that. And then you compromise at some point. And this prophet was not only given a message to deliver that he that he did very well. He put his life in danger, as it were. Although the Lord had told him he'd be able to go home, but he still put his life in danger. Jeroboam was going to seize him, probably either kill him or cast him into prison or whatever. He does that faithfully, and then he gets tricked. He takes the word of God lightly, and it leads to his death. <clears throat> And so you know, the Lord tells him, "I want you to go straight home. Don't don't be deceived. There's this, there's enemies up here. You're in a, a idolatrous land. Get home." The Lord's gracious to to protect him. <clears throat> to go back another way, and yet he doesn't listen. And so, for whatever the reasons, he's given clear instructions that he fails to obey. And so you can't help notice that he didn't deliberately disobey. It wasn't that he just had a change of heart. He says, you know what, I'm tired of listening to the Lord. I'm going to, uh, even though everything he said has come true, I think I'll, I'm going to uh, do something different, which is what Jeroboam and Rehoboam did. No, he, he, he gets tricked. And, and we can identify with this. And, this, and yet you say, well, why is the Lord so hard on him? Because of, cause the guy lied to him and, and said he was a prophet. Well, First of all, this was a prophet who had stayed in the land. We'll see here in a moment that when Jeroboam took over and began this false religion, all the good faithful prophets go move south because they know that they can't stay up there. This is you know the, all the Levites move south and the prophets. This guy stays, so he's already suspect. He's already a compromiser, and. He listens. He listens to this guy, and the Lord says, "You know what? I'm, I'm going to make you an example, something that we can learn from." And so, in these first three verses, we see his message is quite gospel-like. It's a gracious warning that judgment's coming. Someone from the line of David, interestingly enough, is going to be the one to uh, burn this idol down, to, to burn these bones, and tear everything down. And so there's a sense in which that's the gospel message. The day is coming when a descendant of David, of course we know Jesus Christ, is going to come and he's going to judge the living and the dead, right? So a message that kind of reminds us of the gospel. At some point in the future, God will judge all those who are worshiping false gods. It'll be someone from the root of David. And, lest you Ignore that. Let me give you, he says, a immediate proof. And again, the, the, the altar is torn down. Well, it's a sense in which we, we could say that same thing when we give the gospel. 
How do you know Jesus is going to come and judge the living and the dead? Because of the cross. Because that was the sign. Remember, Jesus said, the only sign you're going to get to these unbelieving Jews is the sign of Jonah, which was the cross. He said, I'm buried for three days and three nights. And he's raised again. So, proof is given. Uh, whether we believe it or not, it's going to determine our eternal destiny. And so in verse 6, Jeroboam, Jeroboam interestingly refers to God as your God, but he doesn't repent. So the Lord withers his hand because he dare raise his hand up against his prophet and pray to your God that my hand will be restored. Well, Jeroboam, when are you going to uh, wake up and repent and recognize there's only one true God. Well, because we know why. Because until someone is regenerated, and we'll talk about this, I think, uh, either later in the second message, uh, it doesn't matter what happens. It'll be in the second message, yeah. I don't care how many miracles someone sees, until God opens your eyes to the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, you, you're not going to believe. And so we, we see Jeremiah as a prime example of that. He just keeps on sinning. It's amazing. So he asked God to heal him, but not so that he can worship him, because he doesn't like his hand withered up. And, and, and we've got to be careful in our prayers. I understand when lost people pray because all of a sudden something bad happened, and so maybe God will, will fix it if there is a God, you know, you know, whatever. But when Christians pray like this, when we would dare uh, ask God to, to Lord, help me in this situation. And our motive is not that I might be a worthy, thankful servant. Maybe I'll be better able to serve you if you answer my prayer. Our motivation really is, I don't like the situation I'm in. And so we ask God to fix it. And does it, but it makes no change in our life. How is that different than Jeroboam? Right? So we need to be very careful about that when we see, read about these things. <clears throat> So, we might, this might make us think about what happens when God shows up at a church when people have gathered to please themselves and not hear from the Lord. I imagine there's a lot of churches out there where people have gathered for whatever reason, but it's not really to worship God. Uh, it's to uh, do whatever it is they want to do. And just, this is what they're doing. They're having a church service, but it's not one in which uh, the God is being worshipped. Another point to be made is that attacking one who is faithful in delivering or obeying the word of God, you are in a sense attacking the, the Lord himself. And so, let me be careful. I'm, you know, listen to what I'm saying here. When you when you attack me or or anybody who's teaching you the word of God faithfully, and it's because you don't want you don't like what they're saying, you're attacking the Lord. I'm not the Lord, but I am delivering you the Lord's message. And so it, it, it's, it's a, to, to dis, dishonor it, to ignore it, to scorn it, whatever you're doing, it, it's, you're doing this to the Lord. And that's why it was interesting that when Jeroboam attacks the messenger, the prophet, the Lord punishes him for that. <clears throat> and so, we know, of course, after this, Jeroboam simply repairs the offer and continues as if nothing ever happened, which is astounding. But this is why later Josiah is going to come back and tear up the altar 
Because because at the end of the day, God's will is going to be done. What he says will come true. And so we come down to verse 11. And this is where the, the story kind of takes an unexpected twist. Because up until now, the prophet has been faithful. Everything has kind of gone the way we would assume it should go. And then all of a sudden here, this poor prophet finds himself in a uh, situation where the Lord takes his life. Because another prophet has lied to him. And so you can't help, you got these unanswered questions to some degree. Uh, why is the Lord so hard on this man who has been so faithful up to this point, to the point that he's put his life in danger? And why is the lying prophet punished? And of course, we, we're asking this, these questions in, li, in, in the context of this life, right? Because we know ultimately the faithful prophet is with the Lord. The uh, lying prophet who lived longer, unless he repented, and there's a possibility he did, but he is in hell. So when we ask these questions, as, as uh, the Bible does, as the psalmist does right many times, why do the wicked prosper? If we don't keep eternity in mind, we've already kind of uh, missed the point. Of this, because nobody prospers who is in rebellion to the Lord. They might prosper for a little bit, but you can't compare this life to eternity, right? So we got to keep the biblical perspective in life, or we'll, we'll ask a lot of useless questions and come to a lot of useless conclusions. <clears throat> the only answer we're really given in this account is that this is all about being faithful to the word of the Lord. Because that's that's either what they did or they didn't do. <clears throat> this man's faith has been strong in the world among his enemies, but his guard was quickly let down when he comes along someone that he thought was a prophet like unto himself. And so there's something to think about. It's easy perhaps for us to be to you know, we're with lost people or, or the world in some way and we our guard is up, and then all of a sudden something someone uh, puts the name Christian on a book or a song or a message and we can't let our guard down or we assume the best and, and and you can kind of understand it to a point but this passage reminds us and of course all the passages in the New Testament that tell us to be aware of false prophets and wolf in sheep's clothing reminds us that well we can't be that naive it's easy to be naive and it's 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 easier, it's, it's laziness, you know. But we got to do our homework. We've got to be wise as serpents, as well as harmless as doves. And we have a responsibility to test things. Uh, John, First John says, test the spirits, right? And this man didn't do that. He was a prophet, but he was a false prophet. <clears throat> um. And so the fact that both Jeroboam and this older prophet received mercy or perhaps better patience from the Lord rather than the man of God reminds us of a couple of things here. <clears throat> First of all, God expects more from those who more light has been given. I mean, this, this, this uh, prophet, God had come to him directly and told him what he's supposed to do. And that should have been the end of the matter. So, 
and the Bible teaches that those who have more light, more is expected. We have the full canon. We have the full revelation of God. We have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. More is expected of us as New Testament believers, for instance, and there's there's a lot of ways you could, I think, apply this. But uh, then the Old Testament saints, because they just were living in types and shadows, and they, they didn't have the light we had. So we got to be careful that we don't, Use them as an excuse for things we're doing in, in this age. <clears throat> Excuse me. Just then, secondly, just because he allows the unrepentant to have a better life in the world than he does the faithful prophet or the, or the Christian, for instance, doesn't mean that we can interpret life according to outward blessings. And I've already referred to that already, right? And, and we've talked about this many times because it's. It's a huge temptation for Christians. It's a place where many Christians, I think, really struggle. Is you interpret life according to who's healthy, who's good looking, who's wealthy, who's popular. And so any of that matters when it comes to serving the Lord, right? <clears throat> and it will always lead you into a mess, to confusion. <clears throat> This is about whether we will believe and obey the word of God above all else. Because nothing else matters. There's no excuses. The word of God comes to Jeroboam to repent or face judgment and he despises it. It came to the man of God for his guidance and safety as we've already talked about and he ignores it to his peril. And that's, in one sense, that's the, the lesson. It's always the lesson. <clears throat> But I assume that, that I, you know, if I can assume, to speculate at least, I, can, I assume this, this first prophet, this man of God, is a, is a true believer. I expect we'll see him in, in heaven. I would be surprised if we're not. I don't think it's, it means he's a false prophet just because he doesn't finish well. <clears throat> but, I mean, we don't know for sure, I guess. But what he does, his mistake is that he accepts what another saint says without first comparing it to the word of God that he had, the plain word of God. He doesn't maybe, we don't find him praying, asking God, said, Lord, I'm, I'm, I, there's a conflict here. Let me know what I should do or something. No. That's why I say it's easy for us to be gullible inside the church building or when we're talking to another Christian friend or reading a book <clears throat> from the Christian bookstore. But here's a good lesson for us to learn. Nothing is to be considered truth unless it conforms to the word of God that we have received. This is what, you know, the, the, this man of prophet should have been listening to the first word he received. Because until the Lord changes that, that's it, right? Well, this is the first word we've received. This is it. And we, the Bible, I think, makes it pretty plain, and, and we kind of see how this applies a little bit to what we're studying in 1 Corinthians. Nothing's coming after this. So when Joseph Smith stands up and says, I've got some uh, golden plates <clears throat> that explain and expand on the word of God, he should have been rejected out of hand. And anybody else that comes along like that. <clears throat> it doesn't matter how well they speak. It doesn't matter how popular they may be. That, that's, that, that's, the, that's what happens. This is an older prophet. This younger prophet here sees an older prophet and, and assumes the best. I was reading a story about, I guess, years ago in, in a Major League Baseball game that there was a uh, 
the, the, the team that was at bat was in desperate need of a run. It was the bottom of the ninth. And they had a man on third. And uh, the, ba- the third base coach, uh, I guess, you know, he has a brilliant idea. And he calls out to the pitcher, hey, I want to, let me say that ball for a second. But he didn't call time. And if the pitcher uh, had been aware and, and understood, had been thinking about the rules of the game, he, but he doesn't. The man calls out with, with great authority, let me say that baseball for a second. And he whips it over there and the third base coach lets it go. Man runs home. They win the game. So just because somebody speaks with authority and and with confidence doesn't mean that they're speaking the truth. You know, just turn on the TV or watch YouTube or whatever and you see that all the time, right? No. What does the Word of God say? And then, and so let's, let me, let me, uh, defend myself a little bit, perhaps. Just because someone doesn't say it all that well. Maybe doesn't have the confidence you'd like to see or doesn't have the polish. If he's being faithful to the word of God, treat it like the word of God and, and don't let things that at the end of the day don't matter influence you, right? And so the young prophet was deceived by the words of the old prophet. And, and this man claimed to have a revelation. A, a word that, of God that contradicts the previous word of God. And millions have been deceived over the generations with the same ploy. I know what the word of God says, but this is a new revelation. Well, why would God send a new revelation that plainly contradicts the old revelation? Uh, doesn't the Bible say, as we'll see here, I think next week, that God is not the author of confusion? <clears throat> And this is what has birthed so many cults and has led to so many apparent, uh, aberrant doctrines. And we, we need to be uh, uh, better than that. We need to be, as we're going to see in our text today in, in second service, to uh, be mature in our understanding of God's Word. <clears throat> we uh, read in 1 John 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. It seems like our, our account is really an illustration of this, right? Second Peter 2 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be, because he's referring to the Old Testament, will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. It's coming. And that's what we see. Do we not see the false prophets in the health and wealth gospel, for instance, raking in money that has become odious to the uh, world and and it blasphemes Christ because they have, uh, this is exactly what the prophets are doing here, they've made Christianity a means of gain. And many are carried away by it. And that's just one example, but certainly we see that fulfilling these words. And then, as I said, they're eating. And in verse 20, all of a sudden, the liar is prophesying the truth. And the first prophet had not practiced what he had preached. Um, and, and he tells it now. It's exposed. 
And no matter how faithful he had been, there's clearly, I think the Lord is making it plain that it, there's no excuse for, you, know, you can't build up Mary. You know, that's Catholicism to some degree. You can't do good, do good, do good. And then I came over here and I really flunked over here. But, well, you know, I've got how this kind of offsets it. No, we don't live by, that's we're living by works. We live by grace. And uh, we're thankful that the Lord is gracious to us no matter how we fail. But you can't excuse it. You don't, you don't build up merit. We need the merits of Christ and Christ alone. And so, no teacher, no prophet is given special treatment from God. Uh, he is to practice what he preaches, and uh, this prophet does not, and I am to do that, and we all are to do that, right? And that's why one reason why James says, uh, not let many, don't let many of you seek to teach, because it's, you're more responsible, you, you have a, a greater responsibility, you're, you're a teacher, and you, if you teach that which is false, you're leading others astray to some degree. And, and it's and it's a it's something that we must be very careful for. We we will it goes on to say you will receive a greater judgment, not a condemna, condemnation, but it, it, you have uh, taken it upon yourself. If you know, let's assume you've been called by the Lord, but your position. Put you in a situation where you have influence upon others that others don't. So you have that a greater responsibility. So James is saying, take it seriously. It's, it's a serious calling, and not not for everybody. Uh, even if you meet the qualifications, make sure that you're called. Make sure you're up for the task. And so you should be praying for your teachers, right, and, and your elders, and those that are in this situation. Um, so it is important to check what is said against the given word of God there are many people out there telling us that God told me this God showed me that God has revealed this new truth to me and it's, you kind of see where this comes into play with our whole uh, discussion our study in 1 Corinthians with tongues and, and other gifts that um, that's the problem you, when you can't verify whether God is actually speaking to somebody or not, you're in a mess. And, and I don't know how any way to verify whether somebody is, is speaking on behalf of God unless it's through what we already have anyway, right? And so we have to be very careful about that. And the other thing that's kind of interesting about this story is the double-minded nature of this old prophet, it's, it looks like, right? At first he deceives, the Bible is very clear, it says, but when he told him that the Lord told him to come, it's okay for him to come and eat with me, he's lying. It says it right there in the text. And then, uh, the Lord comes upon him, no doubt, to prophesy the truth, oh, you disobeyed God, you're going to die on the way home. And then, not just that, but now that when he hears that he's dead, all of a sudden he seems to have a soft heart towards this guy. And he has his sons bring his body and bury it in a, in a, in a place. And, and he says, look, I, I want you to bury me here with him. on his Put me my body on top of his bones. And It seems to be, to some degree, a, an act of repentance, right? And I think that it's possible that that's what the case is. 
As I said before, if you go to Second Chronicles chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, you read that all the faithful Levites and those who are faithful to the Lord uh, left and moved south. He continues to live in Bethel after the nation fell into the idolatry. And he deceives the young prophet. He, he's a stumbling block to this man's death. But he mourns him now that he's dead. And I guess to some degree he knows it's his fault. You know, he knows he lied to him and, and that at the end of the day it's his fault to some degree. But maybe there's a warning also that no matter how rock solid you are in the faith, you can easily fall if God doesn't sustain you, right? But we can learn that from this young prophet who is doing so well and then just like that, the wrong person comes along and he falls. Certainly I take that seriously as, as a pastor, as a leader in, in the church that it doesn't matter how faithful I've been. I've been preaching, <clears throat> I've been preaching pretty much weekly, um, since I was 20 in, in the church, uh, teaching or preaching, right? So, and, I, and you know, I thank the Lord, he's used me for that, I, I, you know, it's all well and good, but that has nothing to do with how faithful I'm gonna be tomorrow. Right? Uh, again, you, you don't build up merit. <clears throat> we're, we're, <clears throat> as Jesus says, at the end of the day, no matter what we do, we've only done our duty. We've only done what we owe our Savior, our, our Lord, our, our God. <clears throat> you, you, you can't do more than your duty with God. <clears throat> and so the word of God was a profession to this false prophet, and he abuses it. And it's our duty to take it seriously, even as preachers. And so in that case, both of these men fail here. Um, the pro- young prophet should have hurried back to safety, but he stops in the land of the enemy, and he, and he uh, pays the ultimate price. And then, as I said, as, as you read about this uh, lion who kills him and then just stands guard over the, the uh, donkey and the body of the uh, priest or the prophet. <clears throat> in case anyone thinks that this death was the consequence of an accident or fate, the Lord allows the lion to act very unlike a lion. And it just reminds us that everything's under the Lord's control and sometimes he allows good men to fall Sometimes he allows evil men to prosper for a time. This is the way that God has ordained things to be. And again, if you read the Psalms carefully, this is abundantly clear. I think the New Testament certainly is is clear about this. There's never a time in which we can say that this was not the Lord's doing. No matter what happens. Yet, um, another message to Jeroboam that this this scene of this lion, because Jeroboam hears about it, it's another message to Jeroboam that uh, this is from the Lord. Why haven't you repented? I mean, how many times has God graciously given Jer- Jer- you know light to Jeroboam that he rejects? <clears throat> and so it's not healthy to look at any event apart from the Will the, the revelation that we have from God, or we'll misinterpret it. As we come to the end of this, down in verse 32, <clears throat> I mentioned that he asked, he tells the sons to bury him 
Uh, he says in verse uh, 31, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the house of the high priests that are in the cities of Samaria, Samaria, Samaria will surely come to pass. So he knows that, when, that what the guy spoke when he met with Jeroboam was true. <clears throat> he knows it's going to happen. I mean, the man uh, is a compromising prophet it seems like but at the end of the day he he knew right from wrong he knew the word of god was true so again it might be and and maybe because of that he knows of course that he doesn't want to be buried with the false prophets he knows their but their bones are going to be dug up and burned on the altar in a sense cursed so he says bury my bones with this man because he knows that man's going to be safe and again, whether that is him repenting, or being converted, you know, we don't know. But he's looking in faith to some degree. He, he knows, he believes the word of God at this point. <coughs> Excuse me, I don't know, I think my allergies are acting up today. But <coughs> anyway, let's just read Second Kings. Here's the fulfillment of all this. Chapter 23, starting in verse 15. <coughs> Moreover, the altar at Bethel, this is when, of course, Josiah, if you, if you don't know about this, you'll, we'll get to it eventually. Josiah is one of the good kings of, of Judah, and he institutes a lot of reforms. He's one of the better kings, and so that's what's going on here. He is destroying all the, uh, play, altars of Baal and so forth. <clears throat> the high places erected by Jeroboam, the son of Naboth. So they're, they're dealing with the altar at Bethel who had made Israel to sin, that altar with the high places, he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He burnt. He also burned the Asherah, that is the female counterpart to Baal. <clears throat> and as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mounts, and as the tombs of the, the priest. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it. And according to the word of the Lord, the man of God proclaimed who had predicted these things. This is our text, right? Then he said, what is that monument I see? So, obviously, the, the, when, the, when they buried this other, older prophet, they erected some sort of tombstone, or we would call it a monument, uh, of who he was, and of maybe what had happened. <clears throat> and so the man of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. <clears throat> And he said, let him be, let no man move his bones, so they let his bones alone, with the bones of the prophet who of, who came out of Samaria, which is the older prophet. And so perhaps, if you think about it, everybody knew the story at that time, and, and then the, the account of the lion who sat there and guarded him and didn't eat him or the donkey. And so when they buried the guy, even though it was a judgment of God, they... they Erect a little bit of a, uh, some sort of a monument to the whole situation. It had to have been pretty interesting to everybody. And so this is what, uh, Josiah sees. <clears throat> and, uh, so the prophecy comes true, which we expect the prophecy to come true because the word of God, God, everything is ordained from eternity. Uh, nothing's gonna not happen that God is not ordained, right? And so perhaps as we close, the bottom line is this. We should be terrified if we have the truth, and yet the truth does not have hold of us. 
if it's not controlling us, if it's not transforming us, if we're taking it as a grain of salt, with a grain of salt, uh, you know, uh, it, when it's convenient, we take it lightly, we don't study, we don't grow as Christians, we just, you know, I, I know some of the basic stories, and I kind of know what the Bible's about to some degree. I know the gospel, and that's all that matters. <coughs> Whatever excuses we have, it seems our text is kind of letting us know that maybe won't end well. And if, and if at the end of the day we're not giving our heart to Christ and we're not living to, to glorify him in all things, it doesn't matter if we die in peace or not. We, we're dishonoring the Lord, and for a Christian that should be all the motivation we need. <clears throat> and so in this sense, we're all prophets. We all have the word. We all have a sword, the sword of the Lord, that we're to use to uh, to help the kingdom grow. And let's be careful that we don't use the, th- the word of God against the Lord in, in a way that dishonors the Lord. It's a gift for us to serve him, not a gift for us to take or leave and end up dishonoring him as uh, these men did in our text. All right, any questions or comments as we close today? <clears throat> thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day, for the opportunity to be together. Thank you for the word of God and for the uh, wonderful way that you teach us and the different ways that you uh, present truth to us in, in narrative as well as in more... Uh, epistle-like studies in the New Testament, and we thank you that the Word of God has one message, that it is uh, sinners need grace uh, of God through Jesus Christ in order to have peace with you, and we pray that we would never stray far from that message. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.